0: Lover of all things lit, professional reviewer, recommender, book blogger. I am your host, Lloyd Russell, AKA The Book Sage. And you're listening to Lit with Lloyd, courtesy of KCAT Radio. Hello, uh, this is Lit with Lloyd. Uh, I am your host, Lloyd Russell. Uh, And today our guest is Paulette Boudreau who has written a fantastic book called Mulberry uh, that I've, you all are gonna to wanna to read for sure when we're done here. Uh, and I wanna just welcome Paulette and thank her for uh, coming on to uh, to our podcast. Thank you for doing this.
1: Thank you for inviting me, actually.
0: <laughs> it's really my pleasure to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so <clears throat> let's get started. Okay. Uh, Based on your website, uh, it says that Mulberry is your second book yes. and your first book uh, might be in a drawer someplace. <laughs> yes,
1: um, yes.
0: However, it also says on the website that maybe you are in the process of working on it to get it published. So tell us about the uh, the first book and then we'll get to the second book
1: (laughs) okay Um, yes yes so the first uh, the first novel that I wrote the one that I actually finished as a real writer as a grown up because Mm -hmm. I actually wrote a novel when I was about 13 or so really (laughs) and that one there's no traces of it anywhere and no one will ever find any traces of it either (laughs) Uh, but um, when I was in graduate school I actually wrote a novel as my thesis um, and I you know, actually tried to get it published, and it was almost published, and it didn't quite make it. Um, it got rejected. And uh, and at one point, it actually was, well, I had a sort of an offer from a publisher. And I worked on it, you know, worked with one of their editors, and worked on it for about six months with the editor. And then I spent like another uh, six months or so editing it. And then they decided they didn't want it. Oh, that's, that stinks. <laughs> exactly. So I put it in the bottom of a drawer and kind of gave up on it. And then I went and I wrote Mulberry, actually. Um, and so this one has been sitting you know, in the bottom of a drawer for a lot of years. <laughs> and uh, after Mulberry was out, I had two options for what I would do next. I had two ideas that I wanted to write about. And I decided that I would pull that book out of storage. <laughs> and see if I could make it into something that I would be proud of now and that would have a a possibility of getting published. So that's what I'm working on. But um, because it sat for so long in the drawer, there's a lot that needs to be done.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Do you feel like it's coming along well enough that ultimately it's gonna be publishable?
1: I hope so. I hope so. (laughs) I'm pouring my heart into it, and hopefully it's going to please somebody somewhere.
0: (laughs) Okay, so you said you had two ideas. Um, When you get done editing the first book, will this other idea lead to a third book?
1: I already have an idea for a third book. Ah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you're not so. gonna you're not gonna mess with that though until you get the first one done,
1: right? This one that I'm working on right now, yes, exactly. Okay. So the idea is because they're very different books, and so I have to live in the space of the book that I'm working on. Whoops, um, <laughs> and then I can clear once the space is cleared, and I can clear my palette. You know, like. Wine tasters do <laughs> between wines, right? Uh, clear my palate of the one that I'm working on, then I'll move forward with the other. But I've actually done a little writing on the third book as well. Oh wow! So
0: that, yeah. that's exciting. Now, uh, for those that don't know, um, Paulette was uh, came to our book club about five yes. years ago or thereabouts. Yes. Uh, and our members loved her book. Uh, and right. I have the proof in front of me from the ratings they gave it. Uh, so uh, I, I'm very excited to have a chance to read the the second one that was first, and then the third one that's third. Right. <laughs> OK, so uh, the first book went in the drawer. Tell us, Tell us how you went about writing Mulberry, and how long it took, and how you actually got it published.
1: OK. Um, Mulberry actually started as a series of short stories so um, I had a um, kind of a memory of um, well I'll try not to do any spoilers for anybody who has not read the book yet yes (laughs) Um, but there was a classmate that I had in school when I was in elementary school And um, various things in my life Um, as an adult I was thinking about that child and kind of wondering um, what it was that made her the kind of person that she was and um, and out of that wondering and trying to answer my own question about that um, I wrote a short story called Mulberries with (laughs) a plural (laughs) And, um, and after writing that short story, I realized that there were other children's stories that I wanted to tell from my community, different things that I remembered experiencing and people. And it was all about um, how do we become the people that we are, right? What are the, the influences in our childhoods that make us into the type of people we are? So we start off with our own innate, personality traits, right? And then various things sort of impact us in various ways. Um, So I started then you know, writing individual stories about different children, different types of personalities. And at some point I realized that I wasn't enjoying it so much and it wasn't quite doing what I needed it to as short stories. So um, I thought about, so how do I make it into a full story? How do I make it into a novel? And um, and the rest is sort of history, really. I figured out a way to link the stories, you know, to create um, the one narrator who follows along and gets to interact with these different children, Um, and then we get to see these children's stories and their circumstances and so on that made them the kind of people that they are, theoretically, anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We get to extrapolate a little bit about you know a child who experiences this set of circumstances, what kind of person they might grow into based on what we see you know their personality as children and the things that are happening around them so well
0: as a as an English teacher, I hope you'll forgive me for saying you did good because <laughs> you you put this thing together really well. Uh, how long did it take to write?
1: Oh my goodness the the actual first draft of the novel took about a year the actual process of getting it published took a whole lot more years like <laughs> <laughs> almost 20. well um i wrote it and i sent it out you know did the usual kept coming back and coming back
0: you sent it to agents um did i started you go direct? Off,
1: i started off with agents mm-hmm. you know trying to find agents uh-huh. and uh and it kept coming back And so at one point, I just put it in a drawer. (laughs) Um, And then I got involved with teaching, of course, and so it became difficult to try and focus on my own writing while teaching writing as well, full time. Um, And at some point, I had a friend who said, you know, (laughs) you need to do something with your own writing. So I pulled it out of the drawer Revised it, and that time I started sending it to publishers, uh-huh. and um, and I entered it in a publishing contest, no and kidding. it won it. Oh. But that was like 20 years after the original wow. first draft was completed. So <laughs>
0: so you actually won the publishing contest, yes. which is, and that publisher is the one that published it?
1: Exactly,
0: uh, exactly. Who is the publisher?
1: Carolina Wren Press. Um, they're now uh, Blair Publishing, but Carolina Wren, and they have um, various contests. In fact, that was the only way that they were, they were um, accepting novels, especially for publication. That was the primary way, was through the, the writing, uh, the contest that they had. And this one, they were looking specifically for, it's the um, Lee Smith Novel Prize, and they were looking for writers writing about the South or from the South, et cetera, et cetera. And since I am from the South, from Mississippi, and my book is set in Mississippi, um, I fit right in.
0: <laughs> but you wrote the book from the West Coast, right? Yes, exactly. As you moved, you moved as a teenager to the yes. Bay Area, correct? Yes,
1: yes exactly.
0: Um, when you started writing, well, you started, you said, as a short story. Mm-hmm. Uh, what made you write about Mississippi since you were <laughs> fairly long gone from there?
1: Okay, and this is going to sound a little strange, but my characters inside my head speak to me with a southern accent. Uh. <laughs> and so um, what What I think that means uh, or what I mean by that on a, a more... Practical sort of level and a more normal sounding level <laughs> is that I think that most of us are really formed by where we grow up, and so there's a way that um, that the reality of where we come from really sort of shapes the the narrative right inside of our heads, and in terms of how we think about the world, how we interact with the world, and how we engage with it. And and I think, um, in my estimation, even though I've lived I've lived in California, I've been here now for almost 30 years, um, and maybe actually more than that. <laughs> and uh, and I lived on the East Coast for another 15 years because uh, I went to college in Boston, and um, and then I ended up staying after I graduated. I stayed on the East Coast, and so so I have a lot of experience with other places, but. The inter- internal reality still feels very much southern, you know. My I've learned how to not sound like a southerner uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> most of the time, um, and I've learned the the cultural realities and so on of California in particular, of New England when I was living there, and I have this combination of things. But the interior reality is still very much a southerner, and so when I start to think about stories and when I start to formulate then how will I tell this particular story that I'm thinking about or what forms and what characters, what place will I use to create the story or to set the story? It's the South. And, um, and so, you know, most of my stories really are even if I'm dealing with and, and I, I like to think that I'm dealing with universal stories, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's sort of the whole point of it, is I'm writing about people, I'm writing about the human experience, Uh and I'm writing about the American experience in particular. But when I think about setting and characters and so on, again, what comes is these characters talking to me with (laughs) a southern accent.
0: Uh, Do books one and three also take place in the South?
1: um (laughs) book one does combination actually Uh it's combination east coast and uh, south okay um and book three is going to be in many places (laughs) okay it's going to be a journey (laughs) okay
0: um so you're from mississippi and mulberry is about life in mississippi in the early 60s correct
1: the the novel is set in the early 60s okay
0: um are any of the experiences from your characters
1: personal? Some of them are. Some of them are. Um, it's even though it's a first-person narrative, uh-huh. um, it's not my story. It's not all of my story, or all of it is not my story. <laughs> yeah, I'll say it that way. Um, but some of it, yes, there are a few um, scenes that were like the the one that I was talking about that really sort of sparked the um, the book itself, the first short story, um, that was a, a real experience. Wow! Yeah, and um, I'm trying to think it would be sh- if it would be <laughs> too much of a reveal if I talk about it. I think it's okay if I say, um, and for the people who may have already read it, they'll recognize this. You'll recognize it. Um, the scene with the nail polish, if you remember, the little girl. Um, sets a ball of nail polish on fire mm. at her mother's house, you know, to use it like a candle or what have you. <laughs> and the mother gets very upset and very angry, you know, with the child. Um, and the the narrator character in my book, that, I, that would be me in that scenario. And the little girl who sets the nail polish on fire was a little friend of mine. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. You know, and so, and that was actually what I was... Wondering about, I was thinking about that child when, uh, and wondering like, why would she do that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah. it's like not smart and um, not safe or any of that. And so, trying to piece together, what was it in that child's reality that made her rebellious enough to do something mm-hmm, as yeah. provocative as yeah, that? Yeah. And uh, and then thinking about the mother in that scene. And how the mother responded to her. So in the real-life situation, how that child's mother responded to her had a lot to do with why that child was the way she wow. was. At least that was what I figured out as an adult, as a kid in that situation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh, my goodness, what is happening with these people? Because my family was not like that at all.
0: Did Did you have to do research or growing up in Mississippi... You just pulled on experiences from yourself and others that you knew.
1: Um, I pulled on experience from others. I talked to my mother about stuff, you know, because she also is very much, well, she grew up in the South as well. And um, and she knew a lot of the history. Um, and uh, she had a lot more of it in store, uh-huh. <laughs> so to speak, wow. than I did. So, um, so I talked to her a lot. And... Um, I talked to other family members mostly, you know, people that I knew who grew up in the South and had their own experiences and stories and so on, you know, so I could say. You know here's my child's memory of of um you know how things were with the Woolworths downtown is that true Uh (laughs) you know am I remembering this right yeah um and she would say yes or no or here's the piece you don't remember or you don't know or didn't know behind the scenes because the grown-ups were taking care of this or that um but some of it was real wow um and things like the Uh, the scene there's a scene in there with JFK the day that JFK was assassinated Uh that was largely real that was um, the moment of sitting in a elementary school classroom in a black neighborhood you know segregated Mississippi and all black everything teachers principal janitors everybody all the kids were black um, and having the principal Turned the PA system, uh, system on so that we heard real time mm. what was being broadcast out of Dallas wow. uh, on the radio and how the community reacted to it. That was all real out of my own experience. Wow. So And it was very impactful, which was how, why it was easy to remember in such detail because it, it sort of turned my world around because until that point I was just a sort of la 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 (laughs) kind of kid a little bit clueless about politics and government and even the the real issues behind um segregation right just you know but that moment you know when this these grown-ups were suddenly just you know out of their minds about what to do and all of that and so like All the little details. Wow! I was in
0: gym (laughs) class.
1: I (laughs) I remember
0: basically running the the field or something when I Mm -hmm. I heard it. Uh, It's one of those things that we'll always remember where we were.
1: Yes. Or something like that.
0: Can you give us um, just a brief um, uh, explanation of what the book is about?
1: ah let's see i'll remember my um (laughs) my elevator pitch so to speak Uh, (laughs) okay we
0: know the star of the of the book is an 11 year old
1: yes she's an 11 year old and um and she's part of a family she's the oldest of four children um and the mother goes away to the hospital to take care of a baby that's born uh, and it's ill so it has to go back to the hospital and the mother has to go to be there to take care of it and uh, she leaves the older children in the care of the father and the father who is a World War II vet and has PTSD and is struggling with that is not really capable completely of taking care of the children so the mother sort of charges the eleven-year-old with trying to keep everybody safe and in order and all of that. And so the eleven-year-old takes on that role and the family then has a, a real, I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> Dramatic kind <Correct>. of time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and she had two siblings, didn't she?
1: she yes, she had three but younger she, siblings. Three that she had three three to take care of. Three younger brothers that she had to take care of. So she's 11, and then the others, the youngest one being two at the start of the story.
0: An 11-year-old. It's mm-hmm. hard to even imagine. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Okay. And we shall be back. <laughs>
1: Thank you to the Los Gatos Community Foundation for their continued support
0: of KCAT Public Media. Because of groups like the Los Gatos Community Foundation, KCAT has been able to inspire, educate, entertain, and inform our community through the magic of television and digital media for over 38
1: years. Thank you.
0: Uh, And we are back with Paulette Boudreaux, author of Mulberry, and hopefully (laughs) two more not that far down the road. Yes. Uh, Okay, so you moved here when you were 16. Yes. Um, Do you feel comfortable telling us what led to the move?
1: Life in Mississippi as a black family. And um, it was rough. It was still very rough. Um, And this was in 1970. And so um, when actually Desegregation, although it was supposed to have happened back in the 1950s, mm-hmm. it was just reaching my hometown, actually, because of a uh, federal mandate, which said, you know, no longer was it okay just to have voluntary desegregation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they were forcing the issue. So um, my family was concerned that um, schools were going to shut down, and I was eleven, about to start 11th grade, and my, um, my mother's, two of her brothers had already moved out here to California, and they had started their own families and all of that. And uh, they sort of conspired together <laughs> to move us all out here to, to get away from the chaos that was about to happen. Um, and so to make sure that I would finish school in time. Because my family, I'm the first one in my family to have gone to college. And so my family was really um, very much engaged with that idea that I would go to college. And so the idea that the schools were shut down, because there, was, there were threats of strikes, you know, that the, the schools would be closed down or there would be strikes or protests or all kinds of problems. And, um, and there, so there were, the family was really concerned about that piece and education was always really important to them. So I moved out here or I was moved out here <laughs> to San Francisco, um, which was an interesting experience in itself <laughs> at San Francisco. If you remember at that time, you know, uh, where it was still like the tail end of the peace and love and all of that. So Hate Street was still closed down at the at the top up there near the park. And um, the high school I went to initially was right and right across from Kezar Stadium. Oh, wow. Yeah,
0: I grew up in the East Bay. (laughs) Okay. And I went to Cal in the late 60s, early 70s. Okay. And I know the Haight-Ashbury and all of that stuff, (laughs) but I can't conceive of what kind of culture shock it
1: was to come from (laughs) Mississippi To San Francisco for for anybody to go to San Francisco (laughs) at
0: that time
1: it was crazy yes it was absolutely insane insane do you still have family in Mississippi Um, ironically I have a couple of siblings who've moved back there no kidding in the last I think one of my brothers uh, and his wife I think they've been there now for about 15 years they moved, moved back from Sacramento and um, and then I have a younger sister who moved back about ten years ago, huh. and um, and they're sort of ingrained now.
0: <laughs> well, that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, did in fact in 1970
0: did everything happen that it was predicted would happen? Schools shut down and yes, and, and, yes, and yeah. I guess the racism racism actually amped up. Yes. with the federal regulations exactly
1: mm. exactly and there were um you know there was all of the kind of stuff that you see in the news or saw in the news at the time and can see in co- recordings of the news now of uh, people you know objecting standing along the sides of the street uh, wow. <laughs> as black children were going into the white schools because one of the, the things that happened throughout most of the south as i understand it was that um, the way of dealing with desegregation? Was to shut down most of the black schools and ship the black kids over into the white neighborhood, rather than vice versa. <laughs> you know, sending black uh, white kids into the black neighborhoods. Yeah. And so a lot of black children found themselves in that situation of having to go across town and having to deal with the hatefulness of you know of of um, folks who didn't want them there, white folks who didn't want them there wow, and so um yeah, and schools shut down um were shut down, and a lot of teachers you know were out of work, black teachers especially uh and just a lot of chaos you know with uncertainty and so on um, and <laughs> and I, there's also um The the creation of um, what they call them now like segregation academies, where a lot of the white families quickly moved their children. They created these, suddenly these schools, new schools and, you know, removed their children from the public schools in town and put them in the segregation academies around. And this was all throughout the South, but in Mississippi. Uh, in my community, wow, and so so things got really, and they're still not great. Even now, <laughs> they're still not but great. But your brother
0: and sister still decided they'd rather live there.
1: Uh, it my my brother and his wife—they're actually nurses, and uh, and so they're doing a lot of like healthcare kind of work with people, and uh, they're also um, they consider themselves like missionaries to a certain extent, you know. Uh, And so that's important to them, that they feel like they're making a real contribution um, to the community there, because there's a lot of need, various kinds of need. Um, And my sister, I think, well, (laughs) she moved back there and her grown children followed her. (laughs) Huh. <laughs> and established their own lives and grandchildren came along and wow. all that kind of stuff and so now she's there uh, because her kids are there, her grown kids and yeah. her grandchildren yeah. and all of that and she's found work and um, yes, yeah, so I don't know if she'll stay there for the rest of her time or if she'll eventually come back here but Mississippi is definitely very different than California. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> so, I don't
0: think that so many of us that were, you know, born and raised in Northern California, yeah. we we don't we don't appreciate what we had here, mm-hmm. what we what we have, and what we had, and how we grew up. Um, but listening to your story, I, I I I feel bad that that you guys went through that, and that it yeah. continues to happen. That's that just that really sucks.
1: Yeah, well. <laughs> I'm
0: really sorry about that.
1: Yes, well, it's kind of the life in the South, you know, in the American South. And, um, yeah, and as we know, things have gotten really ugly (laughs) in recent years. You know, things have come forward again in ways that no one expected that we would be kind of back where we are in dealing with a lot of these kinds of issues. What what,
0: what has led to that?
1: I think... uh, probably a change in the larger society, you know? I mean, it's, uh, (laughs) oh my, this sort of walks us a little bit into politics here, but. (laughs) That's okay, I mean. (laughs) Um, I remember thinking and saying to some friends, actually, here in California, after the election of 2016, that we live, in a big Mississippi (laughs) that um, there is a way that the larger culture is more like Mississippi than we all realized until that election happened Um, and the way that everything has sort of fallen apart in a lot of ways around Equality and race relations, and so on, in the U.S., you know, kind of, kind of points to that. Uh, that <laughs> while we had made a lot of progress, or we have made, and that continues to be true, um, things were not as um, progressed. You know, we had not come as far as we thought with regards to racial equality and all of the the um, the fallout from the inequality and the the ways that certain people on both sides of the color line um, are feeling, um, I don't know, oppressed perhaps is the right word for it. It's about economics as well, right? You know, that people are um, are feeling kind of disenfranchised in various ways, especially people who don't have a lot, (laughs) you know, and feel that they stand to lose a lot, um, or that they can't afford to lose a lot. And so, there's, um, there's sort of an easy um, emotionality, I guess is a way to say it, that has come forward, you know, in a lot of ways. Wow! And so, um, you know, because I hear from friends and family who are in the South still, um, that there are more issues that weren't oh. there, you know, or at least had sort of backed away uh-huh. or gone underground or, <laughs> yeah, or yeah. whatever a little bit. I hear the same things from people in the area here, too. So, oh. unfortunately, that there are more tense moments and tense situations oh, that, that weren't there before. What the heck? I know. <laughs> I just don't. I, I, that's, that's, that's terrible. Yeah. Well, I like to think we're working on it as a society, you know, and in a lot of ways, California is leading the way. So,
0: well, I think we're in a bit of a bubble here in Northern California. Yes, I mean we, of course, see what's happening around, uh, you know, a lot of shootings in mm-hmm. in Oakland. Just just people driving on the freeway. There's been a bunch yeah. of that stuff, and I don't know if that's race related at yeah. all. I don't know, but uh, but for the most part you know we're kind of insulated from it yes. and you obviously are, are seeing it and feeling it and yeah and no and people <laughs> close to you that are going through it
1: yes yes and even you know as as much of a bubble as we're in there's still a lot of problems for people of color right here mm. in the Bay Area so, um, I, at, at West Valley there, I worked with a group, um, a program that was specifically to support disadvantaged students and African American students in particular, um, and some of the stories that those students brought, you know, the things that they experienced right here um, just were startling and very much like anything that would have happened would have happened in a small town in Mississippi, mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms yeah. of the the ways that people responded to them in public spaces and um, things like being stopped by police on their way to campus because they're you know <laughs> black student yeah. black man male driving and having to prove that he was actually a West Valley student. You know, to pull out an ID and say, "Here's my student ID." Wow. Um, you know those kinds of stories, or students um, again driving in uh, Amman Valley, you know, and being coming from home from a job where he's getting off at midnight at some fast food restaurant or whatever, and again being pulled over and <laughs> asked to prove that he lived in the neighborhood. Um, this
0: is not uncommon. This you're is, saying
1: yes, it's not unfortunately so yeah yeah it's just it's um kind of what a lot of us are used to dealing with and we have learned um through experience and through our parents (laughs) telling us you know here's ways to stay safe we've learned how to sort of manage these things and still live decent lives yeah for the most part yeah yeah for the most part yeah
0: okay uh i'm going to turn to something a little bit more pleasant okay that's okay
1: (laughs) that is Uh, i'm not trying to
0: uh turn away from something so so important but i do want i do want you to tell uh our our listeners and viewers now um (laughs) about uh your teaching experience Mm -hmm. um and what you're doing now with your with your teaching
1: my teaching I just retired
0: (laughs) tell us what you taught
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was in the English department at West Valley and so I taught all of the different composition levels right so freshman comp and sophomore comp Um, I also taught creative writing because I have my master's degree in uh, creative writing and literature Um, and I taught some of the American literatures, like multicultural American lit um, and uh, African American lit, etc. So, um, yeah. So that's my many, many years <laughs> of teaching at the college there. Um, and you retired and recently. I retired recently. I retired this well, uh, May of twenty one. So, and I have been. Uh, I'm also teaching. Uh, and I started this after Mulberry came out. Um, I'm teaching with the university. I'm uh, visiting faculty with the university back in Mississippi, uh, the Mississippi University for Women, and they have a Master of Fine Arts program, a graduate program that is low residency, so the students are not uh, on campus full-time. There are several occasions during the academic year that they come on, on campus for residencies that are about 10 to 14 days. Um, and then otherwise, the courses are taught remotely uh, as, you know, the whole world is familiar with now, the Zoom reality. <laughs> yeah. um, but it wasn't called Zoom at the time that I first started with them. And so, uh, so I, I will continue teaching in the graduate program there. And, and, that,
0: um, and that takes you to the college a few times a year?
1: Occasionally, yes. So far, yeah, it's just been once a year. I would go on campus for, yeah, about two weeks and teach and, you know, do all the fun stuff that is to do in Mississippi. And visit your <laughs> brothers and university campus, yeah. exactly. Are they,
0: are they cl- reasonably close to the school?
1: Uh, not really, <laughs> not really. They're um, actually about four hours south of uh. where the university is. But there's been other occasions that I've gone to Mississippi Book Festival and so on in Jackson, and uh-huh. Jackson is closer to my hometown. And so I would drive from Jackson down to Laurel. Where my family is to visit and hang out and kind of look at the old (laughs) stomping grounds as it were and see if i can remember anything (laughs) yeah (laughs) yes Uh,
0: okay so we just have another couple of minutes uh since you have retired Mm -hmm. have you established a A a schedule or routine for writing oh yes (laughs) tell us about (laughs) that I have
1: to or I would go insane (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's amazing how much um, a job you know work that you're doing sort of sets the schedule for you I mean I guess it's not amazing I just didn't realize just (laughs) how much of a, a reality that was until I retired And so, because when I was working, I had to squeeze my writing in around the edges of, you know, of the teaching and grading papers and all of that. And so, once I retired, though, now my days are my own. And so, I had to establish a schedule for myself that makes it workable so that I get up and I spend a few hours doing writing. Well, you know, there's morning routine of breakfast and all that kind of stuff. Um, And then I write for a few hours and then I take a break and then I do other things around the house and then I come back to writing and you know, and sometimes I get up in the middle of the night and I write <laughs> if it yeah. strikes me. Yeah. And there are days that I spend like the whole day just writing, um, but I have the schedule so that I have at least, you know, the block of four hours in the morning, from morning to early morning to afternoon. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and that needs to be sort of sacrosanct, uh, yep, right? Yep. That it's, you know, no matter what. <laughs> and then if I get to that one o'clock in the afternoon and i feel like i want to keep going i can keep going and i can just take breaks go get a cup of tea or yeah <laughs> some chocolate chip cookies or whatever <laughs> and sit back down and just keep writing
0: does your publisher have a first option on the next book
1: oh we they didn't they didn't um we had um it was just a one book you know the one book right, deal right because it was the contest
0: Right, but they right, have, right.
1: but they have reached out to me, and uh, and they're waiting. Oh,
0: that's <laughs> They've great. Reached
1: out, they are interested in seeing this this one that I'm working on when I finish with it. So
0: now they're. we won't we won't hold you to it. But do you have an approximate time that you think you might be done?
1: <laughs> I have had so many deadlines that I set <laughs> <laughs> for myself that I don't want to do that again. Um, but I hope. Uh, that I will have it ready to actually send to the publisher to have them let me know what they think. I'm hoping in a few months. Oh, great. In a few months. Great. And well, then, of course, as you know, it takes some time. It takes I, another year or two yeah, I for do, the actual book to actually come I, out, I, if I, they would even accept it, but we'll see. <laughs> well,
0: if they don't accept it, which which would make them dumb, Thank you. (laughs) Uh, I imagine that you'll you would shop it elsewhere.
1: Yes, yes. My original idea was that I was going to find an agent because I still don't have one, Uh Uh, and I was thinking I would find an agent and let them work with this book that I'm working on now. But since the publisher for Mulberry reached out to me and you know kind of made the deal look sweet. <laughs> yeah, good, good. I said I would just send it to them and we'll see how it goes. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. All
0: right, well, we're going to end this with a, a couple of trivia questions, okay. but I got to say <laughs> that I'm not happy that we ran out of time. Okay. Because you are just fascinating. Thank you. Uh, okay. The first novel ever written do you have any sense of the timing for that? I mean, how would anybody know? But it was in the year 1008, and it was called The Tale of the Genji Okay. and written by Murasaki Shikibu or shikabu I don't know how to pronounce it. And <laughs> if anybody knows, they can let me know later that I screwed it up. Uh, Okay, so Johann Gutenberg invented movable type in 1440, Mm -hmm. and the first book that was printed 15 years later was a Latin Bible, (laughs) (laughs) which probably shouldn't be that surprising. Right. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Day published what was called The Freeman's Oath and an Almanac in Cambridge, Massachusetts, the very first book published in the colonies, 1639. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 this stuff is so random, but I still find it <laughs> so darn interesting. Okay. All right. Well, I, I'm going to thank you again. I'm surprised that I wasn't crying during that thing be, because I felt like it a couple of oh. times. Just such, such heartfelt stories. Such, yeah. such you know, learning about things that that I've only read about mm-hmm. typically mm-hmm. Uh, and again I'm really sorry that you and your family have had to put up with that okay. with that crap yeah, I'd probably have that you know edited out that okay. I said that word yes. um, but uh, but I'm so so grateful that you mm-hmm. came and did this interview
1: well, thank you. Uh,
0: I, I really, really appreciate it. Yes. So,
1: Well, I, as I said, I'm grateful to have been invited, actually. And uh, and I hope that with my writing, actually, that I do, um, you know, sort of reveal to people, you know, more details yeah. of, of yeah. what life is like or has been like or was like, etc. And always, you know, with a, an idea of hope, you know, giving that sort of optimism that Things are improving, things are always changing, and we're evolving as a culture, and I think that's a good thing. And um, and that's why I write. Really, is to reach people and to share these stories and to also, as I said, offer hope. Yeah, good. Because that's important to me.
0: That's a that's that's mm-hmm. really a, a great attitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, promise me that you'll let me know when the the book oh yes w- is going to be published. <laughs> okay. So I can put the word out everywhere.
1: I will keep okay. you informed. Thank you. <laughs> uh,
0: okay, that does it for us uh, for this episode. Uh, and, uh, once again, I thank KCAT for all that they do for giving us the opportunity to, uh, to interview such interesting people. So, uh, that'll do it for us this time. And we'll see you next time. Thanks. people.
1: You just heard lit
0: with Lloyd here on KCAT radio. Explore all our KCAT original programming at kcat.org slash radio.